Good morning and welcome on this Lord's Day that we get to celebrate together. Please stand and join me for the call to worship. Let your goodness, Lord, appear to us that we, made in your image, may conform ourselves to it. But your mercies reach from the heavens through the clouds to the earth below. Alleluia. It's hymn 139. seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today.
Well, it's great to see you as we gather for worship here on uh, this first Sunday after Christmas. Hope you've had a great uh, Christmas week and uh, had a chance to uh, share with family and friends. And we come together again today to celebrate the birth of Christ. There are just a few things in the bulletin announcements here. And I just want to highlight that next Sunday we again gather for worship one service at 10 o'clock. And you see the schedule of the next few weeks of activities. There are um, obviously less things going on now with uh, the holidays. But uh, we continue to offer our prayers for those who are in need and for our world. And uh, as we continue in worship, we continue to open our hearts to Christ who is here with us as we share together in this time of worship. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 12. In that day, this song shall be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and its ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down, the feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. The path of the righteous is level. O upright one, you make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. Though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in the land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and regard not the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to take the offering now, and then you may be seated. Sorry. You may be seated first, then the offering. <laughs> Sorry about that.
Jesus, look down from the sky and stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. Please stand as we continue to sing. A love that's never failing Let mercy fall on me Everyone needs forgiveness A kindness of a Savior The hope of nations My Savior Shine a light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Please be seated. It's been our practice for a while now that when we come together to pray, that uh, we, those of you who would like, come to the altar rail and offer your prayers. 
So if you would like to offer your prayers here at the altar rail, please come and join me. Father, we praise you today that you are the king of all. In love, you have created all things. In love, you have sent your son to redeem us of our sins. In love, you gather, in love, you are here as we gather for worship. And as we offer our prayers, it is with great joy that we come to this moment of prayer and pour out our hearts to you because we know you love us with an everlasting love. Father, we come this morning recognizing that there are needs and burdens that are on our minds and our hearts, that are part of our our fellowship here and beyond. We pray this morning for all who are grieving. We thank you for your comforting grace in every grieving heart. We pray for your healing mercy upon all who are struggling with issues of health. We pray especially today for Priscilla Reese Waltz, for Vesta Mullen and Tim Nichols, for Bruce Brenneman and Bill Roski, for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Alton Shea, for Isla Shea and Dick Gould, for Edna Howard and Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and for others who are on our hearts and on our minds today. Father, we pray for the world beyond us. We think of the great things that you've done for the Kisar people, Indonesia. Thank you for blessing John and Sylvia Christensen and for giving them grace and strength and help as they completed the the New Testament. And we pray, Father, that you will continue to bless the translation efforts there and the work of the church among the people in Kisar. And we ask that you will work miraculously. Thank you for the good things that have happened Thank you for what is going to happen. Father, as Smallies and others prepare to again go to Eleuthera this week, we pray that you will bless them. We pray that their ministry will be fruitful. And as they return and renew acquaintances and see what you've done, we ask, Father, for your grace upon them, that your spirit would be at work in them. Father, we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in the world who face persecution and opposition. We ask for your protection upon them. We pray for strength and for your grace and mercy as they live each day as your followers. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers today. As we approach this new year, we pray that you will bring peace in the midst of war and violence, that love will replace hate, that truth will overcome falsehood, that justice will roll down like mighty waters on this earth. And Father, we pray that through your church, that the light of Christ will shine into every corner, every dark corner of injustice, bigotry and greed and deceit until the whole world knows that Christ has come to transform and to make new and to give life 
Father, we pray all of this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Speak, O Lord, and renew 
may be seated. There's not a clock back there, but I got my, my phone here, so I'm not going to send an alarm off. That'd be embarrassing in case it goes off and not finished yet. But, but at least I'll have a rough idea how long I've kept you here. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Um, I thank you for these words that we just sung. And we ask now that you will speak to us. <clears throat> that you will bring to point in our hearts those things that we need to recognize. And to come to know about you. And your desire for us to experience your perfect peace and your love and comfort. Lord, for your power and majesty and all the things that encompass you that you want to bless us with these days. So, Lord, take this time we offer to you. And we pray that you'll give us attentive ears and hearts and minds. And that you will change and shape and mold us according to your good and perfect will. Amen. So... When I think of um, Christmas and all that uh, goes on with Christmas and, and the preparations for it and the celebrating of it and the pomp and circumstance that gets going, uh, we even, when we lived in Europe for a while, it was amazing to us um, how early they got going with Christmas decorations. But when we came back from Europe, we were even more amazed at how early things get going over here. I mean, even October doesn't exist, and there's things going on in the stores, and people are getting excited and gearing up for Christmas. And the celebration of Christ's birthday? I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe a celebration of a lot of money being spent, and the, the stores are all excited about that. But there's just this great amount of planning and scheming and preparation for Christmas. Perhaps one of the most common phrases that we see during this time of year, it seems to me, is this thing, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And you see, it on, you see it on posters, you see it in store windows, you hear it, you see it on banners, um, you see it on the Christmas cards. And actually, it's getting shortened even more and more these days, just as peace on earth. And there it is. And we get this idea that this whole thing of Christmas is all about peace on earth. And to a degree, it is. But if we look closely at that scripture passage in chapter 2 where this comes out of, chapter 2 of Luke, verse 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and among men peace, in whom he is pleased, or with whom he is pleased. And there's a clause in reference to the peace of Christ and the peace that comes to this earth. And so I kind of want us to take a little peek at that today and, and look through that and be aware that God has brought peace on earth. But to know also, to know also that there is a clause in the process of receiving and experiencing God's perfect peace. So with that, I'm going to jump into a totally useless story, but I just want to share it anyway. And that is when I was in, or when we lived in the Czech Republic, uh, we were over in Europe for almost 13 years, 12 and a half years, and the last six and a half, we are in the Czech Republic. And I love NCAA, March Madness, the, the tournament. And I like college basketball probably as a spectator the most, just to watch the college basketball. And my mom knew that. 
And so every year she would record the tournament for me on VHS tapes. Some of you probably don't know what that is, but these tapes. And she would send them at the end of each round and send them over so then I would get them and then I could watch the games. Now, you also need to know that I'm one of those ones that shakes every package under the tree and wants to know what's going on and that kind of thing. Growing up, I was always about telling everybody else what everybody else wanted for Christmas only in hopes that they would get what I really wanted and then I could have fun with their toy that they got that I, you know, wrangled around. And likewise, when it came to the March Madness stuff, I would sit up late into the wee hours of the morning to get, I couldn't watch games over there, but I could get kind of a little ticker tape concept on the internet, and I could see who won and lost the games. So when the tapes came over, I already knew the outcomes of the games. But you know what? It was more fun that way. I know you're going to think, what a, that's kind of a dumb thought, but it really was. I knew especially my teams, but even all the games. I knew who was going to win and lose the games before they happened because I had followed on the, uh, on the Internet a little bit. And so I'd sit down, and I'd watch this game, and the intensity and the stress of who's going to win and lose was gone, kind of. I could just enjoy the game for what it was, you know, and it was just a blast to watch games. Even when my team had lost and I knew it, I could sit there and think, oh, I wonder how that went. And I wouldn't get all bent out of shape because I'm thinking, are they going to win or lose this thing, you know? I knew they're going to lose it because they just played poorly or the, the coaching wasn't so good or the other team played fantastic. But likewise, it could be a hor- If they had won the game and I knew it and they could be being pounded and everything was horrible and just like they're not going to have a chance, I didn't have to think that way because I knew they were going to come back and win the game. It was really an interesting dynamic. And I thought a little bit about it as it, as it relates to us in our lives here that I knew the outcomes and it really took a load of stress out of watching those games. And so for years over there, I would just watch the games that way. Come back here now, and I can watch them on live TV, and oddly enough, I don't get to see them that much. It's a little bit busy in my life. But when I do sit down, I feel that intensity come up and well up within me. I'm thinking, you know what? (laughs) I'm just going to go up and wake up in the morning and find out who won lost the game sometimes. It's just a little less stress in my life for that kind of thing. Um, But I think what I picked up on in that process is how knowing what was happening helped me cope with what was going on. And uh, you, it wasn't life or death situations, but it was just really, like I said, I just loved NCAA, March Madness, and the whole thing. And it just made watching them, and it made me a lot more pleasant to be around watching these games as well, I'm sure. So what's that have to do with peace on earth and, and the peace clause? I think within that is a little bit of an idea of the fact that when we know Christ personally, in our lives, we can be a little less stressed out about what's going on around us because we know the end of the story. It's like you can read a book, good or bad book, and then it comes out as a movie. And you've read the book, and you go watch the movie, and yeah, Hollywood chases, uh, changes it a lot, but for the most part, you have a good idea what's probably going to happen. And sometimes you can kind of go through those things knowing what's going to be happening going on. Or somebody can tell you about the book. Or you can read the last page of the book or the, the information about the story and go through reading it. And you have a rough idea of what's going to be happening. Yeah, there's some cool things and exciting things all through the story that keep you going. But you do know how the outcome is going to be. Now, I want us to look at a couple characters. One of them being Joseph in the Old Testament. And we pick up the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. And Joseph is really a, a really interesting story, his life. He's about 17 years old when we start to pick up the story. One thing we pick up about him is that his brothers really don't care much for Joseph. They're jealous, envious, they borderline hate him. Well, you could even say they do hate him. Why? A lot of people like to kind of pile it on Joseph and thinks he deserved it. But, you know... I'm not so sure it's Joseph's fault necessarily. Number one, he was being spoiled by his parents. Jacob loved Joseph. He was dearly, he was favored amongst the other brothers because of Rebekah and that that tie to uh, his wife. And Jacob just favored Joseph and Benjamin a lot. It's the reality of it. The brothers didn't like that too much. But some of you who grew up in big families can relate to that a little bit. You think, yeah, mom and dad favor so-and-so. He or she will never get in trouble. Our family was perfect. We had no trouble with the kids. We'd agree with that. But some of you probably wrestled with that a little bit, you know. And apparently Jacob wrestled with it, and the brothers and siblings, older brothers of Joseph, were furious and really didn't care for it. Secondly, 
Jacob didn't help matters much when he would send Joseph to go and get reports on how good the boys were doing on the sheeping or the herding and taking care of uh, shepherding. He would go out there and he'd bring back reports, good or bad. He didn't care. And when he brought back bad reports, they got in trouble. And they didn't like that about Joseph. Just don't have to tell him everything, Joseph. Come on, be easy on us. Just because we only have half the sheep we used to have, don't worry about it. Dad doesn't have to know about that. But Joseph was honest. He had integrity. And he'd come back and give the reports, good or bad. But probably even more of an issue was when he had these dreams. He had a couple dreams. But these dreams were perplexing to him. He didn't really understand them real well. And he was fascinated. And I think as, as I was reading this in preparation, I don't think Joseph came running up to his brothers and said, Hey guys, check this out. <laughs> You're going to bow down to me. He said, Please. Hear this dream I had. And I think he was kind of baffled by it. And he was probably curious, how are they going to be bound down to me? What's this all about? And he shares this dream with them. And it just was like, not a good idea. But I don't think it was an arrogant thing that Joseph was about. He was just like, wow, isn't this interesting? And he's confused by it. And they were getting a little madder with Joseph. And really just had it almost to probably right here at this point. And then he has the dream again. And he shares it again. It's slightly different this time. But this one gets to mom and dad, and even Jacob says to Joseph, who are you to think that you, even your mom and dad are going to be bowing down to you? And scolds him for these dreams, and thinking that people are going to be bowing down to him. Who are you? But it's interesting, after you read that part in the, in the story, Jacob does something that is very familiar to what happens to Mary in the New Testament. It says Jacob thought about these things and kept them in his heart. He was curious, too, because he, he knew something about Joseph was special. And he loved Joseph, and he, he knew Joseph. Joseph was honest and had integrity. And he probably, too, was wondering, what are these dreams all about? But so the brothers don't kill him, I'm going to say, hey, buddy, cool it with the dreams and, and back off a little bit. Don't know what was going on in there, but there was an interesting impact in Jacob's life as he heard about these dreams. So... The brothers scheme and plot. They're irritated, frustrated, mad, hate. And they decide they're going to plot and kill Joseph. What they ended up doing, though, is they sold him to a band of traders coming through. Uh, when he went out one day to check up on his brothers, they saw him and they grabbed him and they made a deal. And eventually they sell him into slavery. And off he goes to Egypt. So Joseph is now just removed from his family completely. And we won't get into all the details of his family. We'll stay focused on Joseph. Joseph is sold, and Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard, of the uh, uh, bodyguard for the Pharaoh. Pretty cool position. He sees qualities in Joseph, and he buys him. And Potiphar is impressed with this guy. He's, he's, his household just starts to kind of become orderly. And things happen, and good things are happening in his house. And he just gives more and more power and authority to Joseph to the point that he is now in charge of the entire household. And it says, actually, in that, in that passage in Genesis around chapter 39, that Potiphar, Joseph, had found favor with Potiphar. All the things that Joseph was doing, once again, you could just see things are blessed and God is working in Joseph's life. That's an interesting thing when you think of where he's come from. That he was such a person that he was bought. And being used for the purpose of the captain of the guard, the bodyguard's family, this guy of high esteem. And he's bought Joseph because he sees good qualities. And not only does he see him, they're even better than he thought. And he gives him more authority and power. Now, of course, there's always the downside of these things. And Potiphar's wife is impressed with Joseph, really likes him, and sees all these good qualities about him. But also sees that he's a pretty handsome dude. And she's quite interested. And she wants to develop an affair and get involved with, with Joseph. But again, we see Joseph being right, righteous, integrity, and honest. And he refuses time and time again. Finally, there's a scene and she gets totally embarrassed because he races out and leaves her high and dry. And she's irritated about the whole thing. And she lies and says that he came in and abused her and took advantage of her. And so Potiphar, when he hears this, of course, is frustrated and puts him in jail. Doesn't have him... um, Executed or anything, but just throws him in jail. So now Joseph is back in jail. And you kind of see a pattern there. But he, he was put in jail for being good and righteous. He had done the right things in his life. And yet, bam, he goes to jail. 
Well, in jail, the chief of the jailer, the chief jailer, the person in charge of all the jail, sees good qualities in Joseph as well. And he gives a little bit of authority. And eventually, Joseph is doing such a great job. The picture that is painted is that the chief jailer just sat back in his lazy boy, sipping on a pina colada, enjoying life to the fullest because Joseph had everything in order. The people with gluten-free got their stuff. The ones who were vegetarians got what they got. And it was just total order. There was no chaos in the jail. Joseph was great. And the chief jailer just kicked back. And he didn't want to see Joseph go, of course. He loved having Joseph down there. And just something about Joseph again, that whoever he was around, people saw the incredible qualities in this man. Well, the pharaoh has trouble with his kitchen staff, and he sends a couple of them to prison. And they land in the same jail where Joseph is, cupbearer and a bakery dude. And they get in trouble, and they're in there, and they have this dream, and they're really upset with the dream. It says the next morning when they're up, and Joseph is coming around, you know, serving their coffee and all that kind of stuff, he sees these guys, and he said, what's wrong? You guys look like really like you're ready to die. And they're perplexed because of this dream. And they said, Joseph, we had this dream, and we don't know what it means. And he goes, well, tell it to me. You know, dreams are of God. Let me, let me hear what your dream is. And he hears the dreams, and he interprets both of them. He says to the cupbearer, hey, you know, in about three days, you're going to be out of here. And to the other guy, it's not so good for you. In about three days, you'll be hung. And he says to the cupbearer, by the way, when you get out, could you, this is the first and only time that I recognize some complaining in Joseph, but I don't even know if it's complaining. He just says, could you let the Pharaoh know when you get out that I'm down here and I wasn't really, I was kind of falsely accused of something. I really don't belong down here. It'd be nice to be out of here. So if you could just mention that to the Pharaoh, I'd really appreciate it. And the cupbearer goes out and forgets about the whole thing. And it takes a couple years later when the Pharaoh has this dream. And it's really tough on him. And he is emotionally distraught and, and concerned and not able to really rest easy. And so he has all the magicians, sorcerers, and all the people that are supposed to be able to interpret dreams. He brings them all in from the land of Egypt, and none of them can interpret the dream. And then the cupbearer thinks, oh, man, am I an idiot. Joseph reminded me, and I totally forgot, and he goes to the pharaoh. And he says, "Uh, Mr. Pharaoh, I I made a mistake. I really don't deserve your audience, but you got to know this. There was a guy when I was in jail a couple years ago, and I had this dream, and so did my friend, the baker. Remember the baker guy? You... Yeah, that guy, we had dreams. And he interpreted our dreams to the T. He's really good. I think you ought to listen to him. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph. Joseph comes out, hears the dream or dreams, and he interprets them. And as he finishes that interpretation, the Pharaoh is astounded and amazed. And is, once again, Joseph has found favor with now the highest in the land, the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh, in these short little time frame that he sees and interacts with Joseph, takes him out of jail and within, it seems like a twinkling and a blink of an eye, has made him second in command over all of Egypt. What a fascinating story. Up, down, up, down. And yet what we hear through the process, and I know we don't hear everything, but I think scripture would give us some really good quality um, tidbits that allow us to get the gist of what who this Joseph is. And as I see this life of Joseph, I see someone who is content and satisfied and is able to give the appearance that he is confident and he's okay no matter what the circumstances are. Kind of like we read of Paul in the New Testament. I've learned to be content in all circumstances and it goes on, you know, naked or clothed or no food, lots of food and cold or hot. And it doesn't matter. Paul relates to that and, and tells that in the scripture. And I think we see this in the life of Joseph. In spite of all the crazy things going on in his life, people see an incredibly wonderful, good, wise, smart, handsome. There's something about this guy. We got to have him on our team. We got to get this guy involved. And so Joseph kept being given positions of authority and, and put in high places. And he did well whenever he was put there. So he goes on through the years, and we'll just wrap this part of this, uh, the message up. He goes through those years. The interpretation of the dreams were going to be seven years of great bumper crops and then seven years of famine. And so because he's put in power, he makes sure that they store a load of food. Everybody has plenty to eat, 
But the extras, he, come on, guys, we need crops, we need crops, and get them in here. And they store everything so that when the seven years of famine hit and they happen, people would have food. And they could come and they could uh, buy food from Joseph, or from, well, yeah, from Joseph. And Joseph would then have all this money. And essentially what happens is eventually people run out of money, so Joseph was able to exchange livestock and stuff and land. And, and when it's all said and done 15 or 16 years later, basically Egypt and the Pharaoh, have it, they have everything. And the people are working for him, and it's just a fascinating experience, and all because of Joseph's ability to manage and lead and do things in a wise way. And it's just a, it's a great story. Well, let's jump over to the New Testament and talk about another guy whose name is, happens to be Joseph. And there's also Mary in this story, Joseph and Mary. And when you think of Joseph the dreamer, we all think of the Old Testament Joseph, the one I just told the story about. But did you know that Joseph in the New Testament has four dreams? I didn't know that. I knew the one. It's pretty obvious. But he, then he has to get him, out of, get him out of Jerusalem and over to Egypt. Then he gets a dream that takes him back. And over there, something rises up. He has another dream to move him within the country. It's, it's really fascinating. He has four dreams. And it's interesting that Joseph, in all, in all cases, in these dreams, hears and knows this is God. And he obeys God. It says about Joseph in Matthew chapter 2, I believe it is, that when Mary, his engaged, his fiance, betrothed, he's got life. It's great. He's got a job. And he's got this wonderful young lady he's going to marry. And it just couldn't be any better. He's a righteous man, it says of Joseph. A righteous man. And then Mary takes off to see her relative who's pregnant. And she goes off to see Elizabeth. And when she comes back, it's been several months. And people kind of look at Mary and think, hmm, she's a little pudgy. What's going on? And it's discovered she's with child. And Joseph, being a righteous man, he didn't want to bring shame or disgrace her. And so he decides to do this quietly. And that's when he has that first dream that we're aware of. When the angels visit Joseph in this dream and they say to him, hey, this is all a plan of God. The baby that Mary carries is of God. Jesus, is, he's going to save the nation. And you need to take care of Mary. We need you to be the earthly father to, Joseph, uh, to Jesus, this baby. Take Mary. Don't be afraid. It's okay. And Joseph obeys. He marries Mary. And they move on. Life happily ever after. They just move on together. And so Joseph becomes the earthly father to Jesus. But there's a process in, that takes place. And we hear about the taking everybody. You know, how do you imagine trying to cart on the back of a donkey your pregnant wife whom everybody else says this has got to be some kind of a fair, goofy, sketchy situation. And all the prodding and making fun of that happened to Joseph and Mary, no doubt, as he went along. But he stuck with it. And he brings her into Bethlehem for the... Uh, for the, uh, the census, and there she gives birth. And while there, there's a dream that comes to him. and says, hey, we need to get this child out and take him to Egypt. And so he has another dream. He obeys. The child goes there. And times are rough. Times are bad as they were with Herod in power. But when Herod caught wind of this potential savior thing, this king of kings, he goes nuts. And all kinds of horrible things are going on. And life is anything but peaceful as a result of the birth of Christ in those days. It's chaos. And in the midst of it all, Joseph has the key. He's in charge of the key. He has Jesus as his son, so to speak. And he's got to care for Mary and Jesus. And so these dreams come and he takes them to Egypt. And then another dream comes. Things are okay now. Come back over. So he comes back over. And while they're a second power under Herod, a relative, uh, maybe as a son, he comes into power and he gets a little crazy and so they move him to another location to, again for protection and joseph does a phenomenal job from what we can tell of doing and protect protecting and providing for jesus and mary in those days he's a righteous man he trusts god he believes in god and follows god in the directions that god gives him mary likewise you know we see that we're, we're all about knowing about how she found favor with God and, and she has chosen to bear the son, um, Jesus, uh, the son of God. And what a phenomenal, wonderful story that is. But boy, that's got to be perplexing too. If anybody knows anything about anything, it's Mary because she knows she's a virgin. Everybody else had to do it by faith. But she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that she was a virgin and that, that boy 
that was inside her growing was the son of God. And still she pondered these things and she took on these responsibilities and together with Joseph raised Jesus. And that must have been an interesting task, trying to raise Jesus up, you know, with uh, siblings that were maybe born in the, the days later to follow. And we read a little bit about their lives up through around we know they go back and forth for the feast of the Passover on a regular basis. And one of those times, Jesus doesn't show up and they're heading home. And so there's a lot of this little interesting developments of family. But all we can really see is that Jesus, or Joseph and Mary do a phenomenal and a wonderful job of being mom and dad to that child as he's raised. And eventually he goes into his earthly ministry around 30 years old. And there's not a lot more we hear about Jesus or uh, Joseph and Mary. So... Now we've had essentially three stories um, that are from the Bible. You have Joseph from the Old Testament. You have uh, Joseph from the New Testament. We have Mary. And we could, there's others that we could, we could focus on. But they just kind of stuck out to me a little bit because they all have a similar theme that runs through them. We see these three individuals in times that are just tough and rough and chaotic. And you could fear for your life. And yet in the midst of all that's going on in their lives that surrounds them, they seem to just somehow take it in stride. And they do what God asks them to do without complaint. And they move on and God blesses and does phenomenal things through them to the point that here today we can look back and say, wow, what an amazing story. What an amazing truth. What, and the things that we can glean from these three individuals, among others, of course. And I, I say to myself, what was it? What was it that made them slightly different than the rest or made a major league difference, a huge difference? What set them apart? And I think it really was simply that they had already within them a trust and a belief in God. If we look at the Old Testament, Joseph, he has this dream when he's 17 years old. And then there's this 15 or so years of just interesting life that he goes through. I, I kind of wonder if what carried him through those times was that first dream that he had. That he knew, according to what God had said in a dream, that he was going to be in a pretty high position. And so when he gets sold and he becomes the, to the, the household, the head of the household, well, his brothers aren't bowing down to him there. And so that probably isn't the the pinnacle of what he's supposed to experience. And then he's heading up in the, the head dude in the jail, well, that definitely wasn't going to be it. And so I, I really wonder, I really wonder if Joseph of the Old Testament just moved right along because he knew there was something going on in his life and God was just using all these things to get him to the place that he needed him to be. And he rested and was content in that process. Every now and then, probably, where we didn't read about things and where he did mention to the cupbearer, when you get back up to Pharaoh, let him know about me, trying to... Just, hey, you know, God, it wouldn't be bad if we kind of change the, the angle here a little bit and, and, and do something and make this a little easier for me. But essentially, no, he just moves with the flow because I think he really believed those dreams as a young teenager and knew that God had a hand in his life and he just trusted God and, and moved on through it. Joseph was a righteous man. In the New Testament, he was a righteous man. He wasn't just any old guy. God had been orchestrating and looking down, not only for Mary, but he was looking for the one who's going to be the earthly dad. How many of you moms and dads, but I know the moms do, pray for that future spouse, for your children? You, you really want them to choose well. And you, you, enter, you, you put energy and love and prayer into it. And God looked down and he saw Joseph and he saw Mary and he chose them for a reason. And I think it was because of who they were prior to them even knowing about this Jesus that would come into their lives. They were special people. Mary found favor with God. Joseph was a righteous man. And I think it was because of their faith and the experiences as a result of their faith that carried them through the difficult times as they continued to obey and walk with God during those days. And so that brings us full circle back to the scriptures that were read this morning, the Old Testament and the New Testament readings. And we, we want to know 
in the New Testament reading in, in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And all these things are things that typically cause us anxiety. We get all stressed out about the clothes we wear, the food we're going to eat, and do we have enough for this? Am I, am I, really, am I saying the right words? And life just, we allow ourselves to get all stressed about, out about things. And it tends to be that way when we feel and forget that God's in control. And if we just seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and really trust in that, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Really trust in God. He'll take you through these times. And he knows the needs. He knows what he has promised. And he knows what he's going to do for you, his good and perfect will. And we can relax to a degree within the times and the anxiety. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. It's got enough trouble of its own. Let's just move on with today and know that God is with us and he's providing for us and he will give us enough to eat and enough clothing to wear and he will allow us to experience things in our life, good and bad, but he'll never be letting go of us to the point that we'll be overcome, that nothing will overcome us, that God won't help us through. And as a result of these, you know, in James, consider all joy, because as you go through these trials and temptations and, and tribulations and all these things, they shape and form you to help you grow and become more useful to people around you. But you yourself, when you come through difficult times and you start to come out the other side, you can look back and see things and feel good about what God has done in you. And it's a win-win situation. But it comes because we trust God, that we choose to seek God. First, his righteousness. And let these other things fall in as God allows them to come down. And then the Isaiah passage um, is, I just really enjoyed that. And uh, as I was looking uh, through the different um, portions of Scripture in the Old Testament readings, uh, I just really enjoyed that, especially the first few verses. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. The one that remains faithful. The steadfast of mind thou wilt keep in perfect peace. The steadfast in mind thou wilt keep in perfect peace. Because he trusts in thee. Trust in the Lord forever. For in the Lord, the Lord will have an everlasting rock. There is so much about the future and what lies ahead in that passage and in our relationship with God that if we can simply know that he cares for us and he wants us to experience life to the fullest and he wants us to know him uh, and he wants to care for us, if we can rest in that, then we can experience in today's times the perfect peace, the peace on earth. And among men, it comes to those with whom God is pleased. And as we trust in Jesus, as we lean on him and not on our own understanding, God fills us and he enables us to, in the midst of these difficult times, whatever they might be, you know, look around you today in the news. It's just utter chaos. We've got riots going on. There's always wars somewhere. Anytime there's probably a hundred wars going on out there. But it's just difficult times. Politics, it's always just this chaos all around and, and, and it gets a little more tense for us as Christians these days with what we can no longer do and even within the military and the limitations that are being put on in chaplains and on and on it goes. But in the midst of all this, we have a peace, a perfect peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. We're going to sing in closing now um, the song um, from, by Longfellow. I heard the bells on Christmas Day and I think... Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, as he was writing those words, was, was perplexed. And he's sitting there thinking, good grief, how can we even talk about peace on earth? With the war going on and, the, and all the, just the destruction and the death and the violence. And he was just frustrated by all that. And yet, as he heard the, the bells ringing, ding, the light came on. If you can say that, the light came on. And he said, no, Jesus lives. He's the son of God. He has come to this earth to bring peace. And his mind and his last couple verses are just a wonderful rejuvenation in his life and a reminder that there is peace on earth. So as we sing, um, sing in, 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 in knowledge that there is peace on earth. There's a peace clause. It comes 
when we choose to allow Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior and trust him beyond all other things. So let's stand together and sing. Receive the benediction. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.